Treasure Valley Dermatology has officially moved into their gorgeous new space in Meridian. Their new location is located at 2535 East Fairview Avenue in Meridian. Dr. Dustin Portella and his team of board-certified dermatologists and physician assistants have extensive knowledge and experience in diagnosing disorders of the skin, hair, and nails. They specialize in treating both children and adults with both common and uncommon skin problems. They treat acne, warts, hair loss, eczema, skin cancer, itchy skin, perform skin checks, have a comprehensive skin cancer prevention system, and offer many more services. Not to mention a full new on-location shop for medical-grade skincare, including Dean by Dr. Dustin Portella. We are so excited for this new addition to the Treasure Valley. Today's episode is brought to you by an amazing local talent in the real estate world, Jesse Taff. I've been chatting with Jesse at Waypoint Real Estate Group, and let me tell you, they're not just about listings and sales. It's about understanding your dreams for 2024 and beyond. Whether you're dreaming of a cozy downtown condo, a family home near the best schools, or maybe a quiet retreat in the suburbs, Jesse Taff is the go-to expert. So why not start a conversation? Follow Jesse on Instagram to get a glimpse of the hottest properties, insightful market trends, and tips that could really shape your real estate journey. Remember, in our community, we're all about supporting each other. And when it comes to finding your place in this beautiful area, Jesse is definitely someone you want in your corner. This is the Boise Bubble Podcast. Welcome back to the conversation. Hi, everyone. This is Shane Plummer. Before we get too far into the new year, I wanted to start by thanking all of you for listening to the podcast. I just listened to a time management audio series and have a renewed appreciation for this moment of time. One thing I've come to believe through my meditation practice, and this recent series reemphasized the point, is that the only time we ever truly own is this moment right now. The past and future either don't exist or they're out of our reach. And the only space in which we can take any action is the present. That so many of you would choose to spend your moments listening to our conversation is truly an honor. And although we strive to produce something that you will find valuable and helpful, we don't always hit the mark, but we try every time. You taking part in this ongoing conversation and supporting open, honest, and civil dialogue means the world to us, and we thank you. In this episode, we speak with Paige Dinger, the Executive Director of Faces of Hope. Their purpose statement describes what they're all about better than we could, so here it is. Faces of Hope provides a safety net of emergency services to people experiencing domestic violence, sexual assault, child abuse, elder abuse, stalking, and or human trafficking. Men, women, and children can come to Faces of Hope and receive help with no judgment, no strings, and no fees. Our dedicated team wraps around an individual or family and provides crisis intervention services to stabilize them. We're so grateful to have learned all about what FACES does for members of our community, but this conversation was hard. On one hand, what they do for victims of abuse is the pinnacle of compassion, community, and loving kindness. On the other, that there's so much need for what they do is heartbreaking, terrifying, and rage-inducing. It's hard to square up in your mind that this amazing community of ours is so riddled with domestic violence and abuse. 
Some might say it's better than many places in the world, and yes, that may be true, and that's no excuse that it happens at all, nor is it justification for us turning a blind eye towards it or downplaying it. Suffice it to say that the human race has a problem we should look closely at and resolve. As we spoke with Paige, it quickly became apparent that there isn't an easy solution. The scenarios are often very complicated and don't lend themselves to any sort of quick fix. After listening to some of these examples, the depth and complexity of the problem was overwhelming. But one can make the case that it's incredibly encouraging that our community has so many resources for domestic violence and abuse, and FACES is one of them. A simple Google search of domestic abuse resources returns a long list of local groups committed to helping those in need in tangible ways. Specifically, we were brought to tears hearing about how FACES provides what's called Hope's Closet. We encourage you to listen to this podcast, if not for yourself, then for someone in your life. The statistics show that the odds of you or someone close to you experiencing domestic abuse at some point during your life is staggeringly high. And take note of the ways that Paige says we can provide support, whether it's through time, money, or donations. Getting involved and making a real impact on someone's life is much easier than you might think. You can learn more about FACES at www.facesofhopevictimcenter.org. If you are experiencing abuse and need help, please find them. Their website is great and easy to navigate, and their offices are located at 1850 South Eagle Road in Meridian. Or you can call them at 208-986-HELP. Or call the National Domestic Abuse Hotline at 800-799-7233. Paige, thanks for coming on to the podcast today. Paige, you are the executive director of Faces of Hope. We're really excited to get to know you and your organization. Maybe let's just start at the beginning. Tell us a little bit about Faces, the services that you provide. So Faces of Hope is an organization that supports people who are dealing with domestic violence, sexual assault, elder abuse, child abuse, human trafficking, and stalking. And we're kind of that triage center. So I would liken it to like, if you break your arm and you go to the emergency room first and they, you know, set the bone, they put the cast on, and then you go to long-term care for support. That's what FACES does. We're that triage center. So people come to FACES first. Um, We give you wraparound support. We help you with your traumatic experience. And then we have really amazing nonprofits that can help you with that long-term care, that long-term support. Wow. So if um, someone is in an abusive relationship and they realize we've got to get out now, we've got to we've got to pack up and leave, you know, with the clothes on our back and the kid, you know, in our hands, they're going to you or do they go to maybe the police department and the police department then connects them with you? So it can happen both ways. A lot of times people don't want to involve police and they just want to come to faces for support. Other times they're going to law enforcement, they're reporting, and then law enforcement will direct them to Faces of Hope for support. But, you know, I think sometimes we know that it it takes seven times to leave your abuser. So a lot of times we'll see somebody come to Faces multiple times. Things seem a little hard, they're not quite sure, they haven't made up their mind, or they think, my world's crashing down, it's a lot easier to go back with my abuser. So as hard as that is to hear, when they're ready to come, we're going to start all over if we need to, and we'll, we'll meet them where they're at. But ultimately when they come, 
we're just going to provide basic needs, crisis counseling, legal support, we'll provide food, safe place to sleep, we'll fill your gas tank, we're just going to meet you where you're at. That's oh, amazing. That's amazing. Um, I don't know if I've ever heard that statistic. It takes seven times actually leaving, or is this seven times there's an incident? Nope, seven times to leave. You will pack your car, you'll go, and a lot of times they'll come back. But we found that if your basic needs can be taken care of, if you see that there's support as you're trying to leave, sometimes that statistic goes down. So it's not necessarily always seven, but that seems to be the national average. Wow. Interesting. I was reading on your website some of these services. So you said that obviously there's that welcoming, right? You need help right now. Just come in, get a place to stay, get something to eat. Let's just kind of make you feel welcome and safe in the moment. But you beyond that, there's a lot more that you guys do. You said crisis counseling. What other service? I mean, I'm curious as to what crisis counseling is. Yeah. Uh, so maybe we start there and then we can kind of go into some of the, these other services. So we know that the bruises are going to heal. And a lot of times people do come into faces with some black eyes and some bruising. We have partners in the building from St. Luke's and St. Al's that are there to help with those medical needs. But when it comes to that emotional support that you're going to need, that's where crisis counseling comes in. And what's so unique about faces is when you walk in that building, that wraparound support begins immediately. So with crisis counseling, we hire only master level crisis counselors that kind of support a modality that is trauma-based. And so, you know, you're, you're coming in and you're working on your emotional needs, maybe why you've stayed for so long, maybe the regrets of what you've had to endure or what your children are enduring. And, you know, we found that when you pair crisis counseling with case management and with our resources, you're much more likely to leave your abuser because you're taking care of your emotional well-being. Mm -hmm. And during COVID especially, we found that people's suicidal ideations were up. And so our crisis counselors were providing immediate assistance to people who just were going through some really horrible things. I have so many questions and anger. <laughs> Honestly, I just feel anger. Mm -hmm. But um, I can't even imagine what you have to deal with on a regular basis to see this side of the world. Because, you know, we we spoke before the podcast, we live in a bubble of our own reality. And sometimes it's popped. And sometimes we don't know what's happening. What's your, if somebody comes to you, and they are being abused, do you have any legal requirements? Like, what do you have to do to in keeping them safe? Do you report that? Or is that something that they come and it's it's not about the legality of, of what's happening? You're just taking care of the, of the people. So we are all mandated reporters when it comes to child abuse and vulnerable adults. So that's like adults that can't care for themselves. However, any time anybody comes into faces that doesn't fall into those two categories, we just come and give them the support that they're ready for. Even though law enforcement is in our building, we have the Boise Police Department, they're in a different section of our building. People will come in and they just want resources. They don't want to report the abuse that they're enduring. And so they don't have to. Okay. Now, 
I think, you know, it's also important to mention that even though law enforcement is in our building, our area is very secluded. We make sure that people feel safe because, you know, sometimes law enforcement may scare some of our clients. And even though we have great relationships with our law enforcement, we are not going to require that anybody report unless children are in danger or there's a vulnerable adult that's being abused. Okay, can I ask some like more, I want to be careful, but I also have some straight questions. Other than maybe elder care or elder abuse, how many of the people coming to Faces of Hope are women percentage-wise? 90% of our clients are women. Okay. Some won't identify under either, but we are actually seeing an increase in the men, the male population that come to the center as well. And, you know, with numbers, one in three women will endure abuse at some point in their life. One in four men will also be a victim of abuse. And so the fact that we have maybe 8% of men coming to our building, we're not scratching the surface. One time I had a man who came, you know, he kept apologizing for being here. And he was like, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't be here. It looks like I can't defend myself, but I'm not going to punch my a woman. I'm not going to hurt them. He had scratches all over his face and all over his neck, and he had been through some abuse. So it definitely can happen. It's just that stigma mm-hmm. that we have to, to drop to make sure that men also know that they deserve the same care as everybody else. Yeah, because I just, I wondered if, if a man was in that circumstance, if they would feel the same welcome, not on your side, but really just culturally, Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. because, you know, you do, you do hear about that. For your staff, because of the majority are women, are most of your staff women as well? Yes. Right now, currently, all of our staff are female. We actually have had male advocates before, and I am so impressed at how kind and loving every one of our staff can be, including our males that typically most of the females that come in have never had a problem. And if they ask for a female advocate, we have always gotten a female advocate. But for the most part, it has never really been a challenge to hire a male. So I think this type of work, often you see a lot more women who are interested in serving victims of domestic violence, but it doesn't mean that we wouldn't hire a male again. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I could definitely see that being very helpful. I just, I think about trauma. That's something that it's, I'm just interested in right now and just reading and realizing that there's so much, so Mm -hmm. much there. If women who are going in there, if they really, you know, feel safer with another woman, because so many of their abusers are men and, you know, develop this kind of fear. These are things like, I think just as a woman, I'm not in an abusive relationship, you know, I'm just, but I think about it. Like, I think I have had a frightening amount of women. Um, I, I am absolutely shocked at the things that I, I hear and I see and that they're like next door. Paige, did you say that the statistic was one in three? One in three women will, <laughs> will experience some form of abuse in their lifetime? Yeah. In their lifetime? Yeah. One in three and one in four men. And I mean, if you break it out more, one in five children will experience abuse and one in 10 elderly people will experience abuse. It impacts all of us. And while I know that we like to keep our lives private in our homes, when I you know, walk around my neighborhood, 
I've seen police cars in front of homes. I've, I can, you know, name on my hand several areas in my neighborhood where I know that there's domestic violence. We just don't, we don't talk about it. Well, how, how does, I mean, this, obviously there's so many tangents to go on, but how do you help someone who you, you think something's going on? Because, you know, you, you want to give everyone their space and everyone lives their lives. But at the same time, I, at the same time, I can't even fathom how isolating and frightening and alone. Um, and I see these signs like, are you being traffic, trafficked or, or whatever? Are you being stalked? And they're like in bathroom stalls. I'm like, oh, my word. Like, <laughs> it seems like there, there should be a way that as just kind, loving humans, we should be able to help mm-hmm. each other. But I don't know how to help somebody, especially if it's someone I'm just suspecting. I don't, I don't know for sure. We're not good friends, but I don't want something to happen to them. I don't know the answers to those things. So there are definitely signs that you can look for. Maybe somebody is wearing long sleeves on a hot summer day. Sometimes they're wearing sunglasses. Maybe sometimes you don't see them for long periods of time or they always look like they're looking over their shoulder. Uh, They're checking their phone all the time to see if they're being texted by their partner. There are signs, but I think part of the other thing that I tell people who say, I just want to help, is that person also has to want to be helped. If they don't come to you, or if you know they're being abused, if you're trying to convince them as hard as you can to come to faces, it really has to be their idea or else it's just not very successful. The other thing is we had Elizabeth Smart come and she spoke to a room of 600 people. And she said, can you imagine how much courage it takes for somebody to come and talk about their abuse? And she said, if that happens, if somebody tells you that they're being abused, the best thing you can do is believe them because it takes so much courage to tell somebody that the person that's supposed to love you, that's supposed to be your partner, your forever person is hurting you, then, you know, it takes so much courage for somebody to admit that something's not right. I'm always baffled by the, by the tendency of people to not believe or, you know, to doubt. And I always wonder where that comes from. Like, I wonder if it's because the, the, the hearer, it's hard to accept the possibility that this is the case. If this is the case that this person's, you know, protector is hurting them, man, that's a big deal. And I don't know how to help with that. It might just feel overwhelming to everybody involved. Well, I mean, like as a, I guess as a woman, just seeing that from that perspective, there's also men protecting men is something I've been part of in trying to help someone out of an abusive relationship, a relationship when I was a teenager and we knew that uh, it was a, a religious leader and that he we would not be believed we would be we would doubted be villainized and, yeah. and you know mm-hmm. the thought that as an 18 year old i'm having that conversation with another 18 year old of how do we get you out of this because we have these grown men who will defend themselves um and will i mean will defend something like this it it really changed the way i think i saw the world a- and that's it, that is such a common tale, especially, uh, or families not believing. It, it is really hard to believe someone you love could be an abuser too. When you have a child, your son who you love and, you know, they raise them and they're all these things. And then your daughter-in-law comes to you and he's hurting me. You have to change 
the way you think about that person. And that's not easy. I think as a mother, I can imagine that. That would be so, so difficult to, to pop that bubble that things are, are not okay. It's interesting because moms of the abuser tend to be kind of the meanest <laughs> and scariest yeah. who don't want to believe that their son could do such a thing. And so we've, you know, I, I've always felt safe at faces. We've always been able to get the abuse, the abuser or the other of the abuser. We've always been able to get them to leave. But unfortunately, I think a lot of moms, I mean, we all, blood is thicker than water. We want to believe our family members can't do wrong. And so um, I think it is hard if you're hearing that your child is abusive and to take a step back and really understand what that means and what his partner, his wife or girlfriend or whatever is, is going through. There's this thing that we talk about. It's called the power and control wheel. And the power and control wheel basically shows that there's definitely sexual intimidation. There's also physical intimidation, but it's that mental and emotional intimidation that really is what is the most harmful to people who are experiencing abuse. Male privilege is one of them. As you talked about that, I was thinking a lot of times if it's male privilege or if it's, you know, like a religion that Promotes shares, that. has a certain belief. Yes. yes. A lot of times it makes it really hard for somebody to leave. The other one is children. A lot of times you'll have a family where maybe, and I, I'm sorry that I always use men, but I just have a lot of examples, but I think have, we all understand oh. that statistic. <laughs> yeah. We yeah. know men are abused. That does not mean that the massive majority we're talking about are women. And I think right. I'm okay with, with acknowledging oh. that. <laughs> okay. If, yeah. Well, thank you. Okay. <laughs> if that's where and, the statistics so, lead, we just need to be honest about yeah. it. Yeah. Right. Like something's wrong. Something's wrong. Like something's yeah. really wrong. I think we can all, and it's tending towards why men are treating women this way. Yeah. Exactly. In a, in a family unit, you'll have a father who has not cared at all for the children, who, you know, has had no interest in them. And mom has really been the, the person that is taking care of the house and taking care of the kids. Somehow in when that power and control is being pushed a little bit. Maybe the victim is just saying, I'm not gonna stand for this anymore. Stop you know, doing whatever you're doing. They will start using the children. That's when the children come in the middle of all of this and whether it's a divorce or you know, it's using a child to intimidate the, you know, the woman to do something, those poor kiddos, whether we like to admit it or not, those poor kiddos are, are being used against her often. So I encourage you as you're understanding what domestic violence looks like, that power and control wheel is so powerful because it's an actual study where at first they were trying to figure out why men abused. And so they took these, they took women and they were trying to find, you know, commonalities about why they were being abused in the first place. They could not find any type of stigma or any type of demographic that would say, okay, th this group of women, you're more likely to be abused. So they, they switched their study and they asked these same women, tell me about your abuser. What tactics do they use? And that was the aha moment when they realized that there are eight intimidating tactics, eight pieces to this pie, if you will, that 
men and women who are abusers use to control their victim. And that's when as we're showing our clients what this power and control wheel looks like, while every situation is unique, everybody can look at this pie and say, ah, yes, he displays weapons to show me what he could use, or he does use power and control to isolate me and he doesn't let me see my friends or go out. So this this pie really does put it together for our clients as they're understanding their abuse. Can you list those things out? So you mentioned brandishing weapons. You had mentioned uh, uh, using power and control to isolate. Those are two. Yeah. And also, is it, is it that we define abuse a certain way and we don't realize that some of the things we're experiencing are abuse until they get to violence? I mean, sometimes there's, there's ways to abuse someone that are subtle. Even oh, yeah. gaslighting and, you know, just the beginning, how it starts. I think sometimes we, we're not trained as women to recognize sometimes these tactics of abuse mm-hmm. against us. No, I think you're absolutely right. Some of them do start out subtle. And so I'll go over the tactics. But what I want to share is that the abuse, we, we have this another chart that we use where when we're first dating somebody, We are in this honeymoon phase. We're on our best behavior. I personally had my husband believing I loved football, (laughs) right? Like we're dating and he's like, oh, she's my dream wife. She loves football. Really? Once we got married, I'm like, "Eh, you can watch football. I'll do my own thing. So we're in this honeymoon phase, right? Then in abusive relationships, we get our clients talking a lot about how they're walking on eggshells. There's just something that they can see is not quite right. Things can just kind of make their abuser a little frustrated. Pretty soon that time runs out and then there's an explosion, whether it's a physical explosion or just a burst of anger. After that explosion, you kind of go back up into the reconciliation, the honeymoon phase. So this cycle of abuse can last for years. You know, you can be on the walking on eggshell phase for years or as we see in some of the people that come to faces, you can go through that whole cycle in one day, walking on eggshells, the explosion, reconciling and the honeymoon right back to walking on eggshells. And so we'll have people who have been in relationships for 30 years and we'll have people who have just been you know, together for a few months, but that is the most common as we're showing them what the cycle of abuse looks like. That is, everybody says, I've been there. This is how, you know, I've been experiencing it for weeks, years, days, whatever it looks like. So do you want me to tell you a couple of the things that are on that power? Well, if it's helpful, if, you know, if someone was listening to this and to our listeners, we have a couple dogs hanging out with us. Hope you don't mind. We love animals. <laughs> we love animals. We're, we, we love when they come hang out with us. So, you know, it, there might be someone listening that's like, wow, it maybe alerts them to something. So if you think it's helpful. Yeah, I I personally would love to hear them. There are eight slices on this wheel. And we talked about like using male privilege. It's also, you know, it's just showing dominance. And a lot of times we will kind of put that religious aspect in there. There's also the economic abuse. So any type of financial abuse. We had a, a doctor who came in and she was the breadwinner but she had to show her husband, she had to itemize everything on on her receipt. And if he didn't like it, she was trying to justify why she spent it. A lot of times for our clients, that's diapers, things that people see wasteful. 
Another one is using coercion or threats, which might be, you know, like saying, if you go out with your friends, you'll regret it because I'll make sure that you, you know, don't get to go with your, well, I'm, I'm trying to think it instead, it would more be like, if you go with your friends, I'll commit suicide because I want to be with you. How dare you leave me? And so it's one of these things where I'll threaten to do something terrible. Another one is using intimidation. So it might be displaying a weapon in the living room that you get to stare at all the time. Sort of like, if you do this, I can use that on you. Um, you know, destroying her property or what she loves the most is her pets. So we recently had somebody who brought in both of her dogs who had broken legs and that's how he intimidated her. I know you love your pets so much. I will hurt them instead of hurting you this time. Fortunately, we were able to get those pets to a vet who has been a good partner of ours, but that's one of, that's a, a big one. The other one is just using emotional abuse. So constantly putting them down or making them feel bad for themselves, calling them names. That one's very typical. Another one can be using isolation. And we see this one with everyone, but I often see it in elder abuse where they are you know, being isolated, maybe in their, in their room, they're not allowed to come out until they're needed or not letting them go to the mailbox because oftentimes their spouse will say, you're not allowed to go to the mailbox because I know the neighbor uh, has eyes for you. So I have to come with you or not even just letting her hang out with friends. Then there's the minimizing, denying and blaming. And that would be uh, making light of the abuse or not taking her concern seriously. In fact, we had a woman who had been hit in the face and she had a, a really a bad black eye. And so she went to get some eye drops to help with the swelling of her eye and she accidentally grabbed nail glue. Can you imagine? Oh my that? gosh. Um, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Um, okay. Oh. She said, oh my gosh. She went to her to her well she went to her partner and said i've got to go to the hospital i put nail glue in my eye i can't open my eyelid for a week and a half he denied that he did anything and he wouldn't let her go to the hospital and so by the time she came her eye was swollen and she was facing you know some permanent damage for her eyes fortunately we were able to get that eye taken care of but she checked her phone and while she was with faces she, he had texted her 120 times wondering where she was. And then the last one is using children. And we talked about that where they, they'll make her feel guilty about why she's with the children so much, why she's not caring for his needs or, you know, tell the children to relay a message to mom, getting these kids involved where they, you know, we need kids to stay young. We need kids to not be involved in things like that. But often saying, I'm going to take the kids away if you call the police. And so that's often why we have people staying with their abuser, because all of these threats are can be really scary and can take away your livelihood, take away your family. And so that's why a lot of people do stay. Mm. Um, <laughs> what the hell is wrong with these men? Like, I know... I, I, I think even from a small child, I kind of wondered what was wrong with the world that we weren't just saying, why are some men like this? 
like, and this is such a huge topic, but like the fury I feel on behalf of my gender is, is, is very difficult sometimes even to just, to just comprehend the, mm-hmm. the audacity and who, why? And the fact you said, you know, like it's a religious thing. I'm like, what? That you mean the thing that's supposed to make us good and kind and like better people that that is teaching us to do this to women, this culture. And it's like, I'm love that you have this organization that helps them, but like, I'm having a really hard time not, not using the F word right now. Like what the actual, like, why? Why? And like, you know, I'm married to a great person that I cannot even fathom. Like when you hear that, I mean, Shane, when you hear about men who do this to the people they're supposed to love and care for, like, what, what do you think of, like, your gender? Like, what is it, how do, how do you process that? Because I process it in rage. But I just wonder what, when you hear that, and when you hear what men, what men do, like, how do you, how do you hear that? Um, it's hard to hear. There's a ton of just disappointment that we have, that, that my gender has not risen above these things. Part of me thinks... Well, it's a shame that this has been the story of humanity for as long as men have been physically, you know, dominant over women. There seems to be history and stories of abuse. This, this, this goes back ages, and I mean, it definitely doesn't excuse it. In fact, I think that there's something systematic about it. But where does my mind go? My mind is wondering why. Like, what is the psychology of abuse or of an abuser? What are these things? What what are these things that are turning these men into these types of people that are willing to do these things? And, and I recognize that not all, uh, there are probably some men that don't even recognize it as abuse in my, in their minds, they probably justify it. Oh yeah. I don't think they, I think that, I don't think they think it's abuse. I think that's, this is how it is. And this is how my woman's going to be. And I'm in control. And this, I, this is, I mean, this, you see this over and over again, you hear, men actually speak this way anyway sorry Paige like this is a little bit of a side but like I mean I love that we're helping but when do we solve it and like when are men so freaking afraid to do this that they stop because sometimes I feel like that's the only answer is that Mm -hmm. like I keep on telling Shane like why don't we why don't why aren't there groups who just like beat the shit out of these men so they don't (laughs) do this again because Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, but that's the rage in me that's like, it's not okay. It's not okay for us to spend this one life we have in fear, especially not from the person who's promised to love us. Right. Right. I think as you were saying that, I was thinking, I, I love that train of thought because I think all too long we've just said, you know, why don't they just why don't they just leave if they're being abused? Why don't they just walk away? But I think as you know, you're talking, I love that because we need to change the narrative by asking, why do we let him abuse? Or why does he abuse? We can't just blame a bad childhood or alcohol, you know, drinking. Like, um, you know, we know that excessive drinking can be part of the abuse, but I think we do need to change that narrative and ask, why does he abuse? I was thinking about that question, Paige, and I mean, I think that we've heard it before that 
there's some statistic out there that, you know, so many abusers were actually victims of abuse themselves, right? Mm -hmm. So this is like mm -hmm. a, like an intergenerational cycle that just goes back years and, and years. And when I hear that, it, it thinks, oh man, this is a harder problem to solve, but maybe it's not. Maybe part of the solution is, you know, stiffer punishment for the behavior, the action. Like we can, we can be empathetic towards the human, but we cannot permit the action. And so if somebody is guilty or found guilty of doing some of these abusive behaviors, then we need to hold a hard line on some of that. So I'm not, I'm not encouraging rage punishment or anything like that. Natalie. I'm just saying, <laughs> no, I mean, well, I would like if, <laughs> no, for sure. But, I could do that personally, I think, but I do think that there is opportunity to dissuade and de-incentivize abusers. Well, I think it's just between men as yeah. well. Cause I mean, so many of these women love these men, they love them, you know? And, yeah. and I think, and they want to believe they can change, but like if their brother finds that out if their father finds that out and they're like no we do not do that to women and and as a as a society of men we change the conversations where no like we are good people we do mm -hmm. not hurt our families and the shame i don't i mean i'm not a shame person and like i i don't like that but there's some things that are shameful and that mm -hmm. is shameful and if a man knows that his place in society, his place in his church, whatever, is going to be so damaged because he's held accountable. I mean, how many generations would that take before we actually saw real change instead of, why do you just leave him already? Like, right. that, that does right. nothing. Yeah, I totally agree. I do think, and as we talk about this, I don't... I don't want people to think that we're urging brother to, uh, you know, go beat up sister's partner, boyfriend, husband, because that can be quite dangerous too. Like you think about the abuser who is strangling his partner, or you think about the abuser who's losing that power and control because he sees his girlfriend or wife packing their bags and leaving that is when they become the most dangerous. And that's when you see, you know, like Meridian, I think 2018, we had five suicide homicides in Idaho because the abuser felt the power and control slipping away. The girlfriend, wife, whatever, was trying to leave. And instead he locks the door, kills her, kills himself because he felt that power and control slipping away. And so I think, please, if you are a brother or a father, don't take it in your own hands, you know, don't go and, and go after him. Just, um, you know, get the right people involved. I don't want to get anybody hurt. Right. <laughs> yeah. Know? And I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm not trying to do vigilante. There's some rage coming out. I think it's more of just <laughs> like, I, and I think I thought about that a lot with actually military stuff because I'd hear so much about how horrible abuse was in the military. And for me, it seemed like, man, that's a great opportunity for the military. It's just like, yeah, we're not doing that. And like, there can be some almost bullying towards betterment in like a situation with that. But with these intricate family relations to teach our boys, mm -hmm. this is not okay. And I don't know though, all those, the, you know, the tools that they need, like it, there's so much. Why does someone feel they have the right to have power 
over the woman in their life. Where does that come from? Where does it stem from? And how do we reverse that in a way when they're sweet and young and, and, you know, they come to us, I have a son and he's 14. And Mm -hmm. when I, I don't like a lot of men for like, you know, I just this situation, I'm kind of questioning men in general sometimes. And I held this little boy in my arms when he was first born. I thought, he didn't come that way. Men are not born this way. They're not mm-hmm. born where they hurt people. And I just looked to him. I thought, what can I do where I and my husband, where we raise him to understand what it means to be kind and loving? And, and I don't know. I don't know the answers to that. But as a, yeah. as a mom to a son, I think about it all the time. Yeah, but I think it's right there. It can start in the home. Not everybody is going to have that environment that you've provided for your kiddos and that I've provided for mine. But we can talk about it openly in our home. Talk about, you know, uh, we have child abuse victims come to faces. And one of our uh, survivors said, start having conversations with your kids about body part names, the actual name of their of their body and start talking to them about it being a safe place in your home to tell them to be able to talk about anything so that they're not afraid and they're not hiding you know the abuse from you that they know that you're a safe person to talk to so I think even though this is a huge issue and there's so many things we could talk about making your your home a safe haven for your kids that's a start right I love that and I I love the idea of opening this up. One thing I've thought so many times is that anything that's kept in the shadows is where abuse can happen. Anything. And that could be not openly talking about sex because for some reason you think it should be quiet or your religion has taught us that anything Mm -hmm. that's kept in, in the dark and that we should be able to have our, a place of, of light that anything can be spoken that we have a community where it's like this is happening and it's open and it's not hidden and Mm -hmm. that's so much easier said than done but um you know being raised sometimes in in a culture where a lot of things were kept quiet because people were uncomfortable and i realize how much abuse happens in those corners Um, yeah i love that Paige. we've talked a lot about domestic abuse but Mm -hmm. you had mentioned trafficking too Tell us a little bit about what you're seeing and what your your group is seeing regarding uh, uh, trafficking. So I think we're making some great headway when it comes to trafficking. When I first started in 2015, we weren't even asking the question. We were really just marking anything down as like sexual assault. Even if we knew they were being sex trafficked, that, that was kind of the category we put them in. Now we're finding that some people don't even know that they're being sex trafficked, but that they're is an exchange made for money and or for something and they have no idea what that means and so as we're sitting and talking with uh people we can kind of get a sense as we start as they start opening up that there is some sex trafficking going on but we're still finding that they they really don't have a grasp on what that means the the person coming in for help so you know, it's it's trying to get them someplace safe, putting them in some in uh, some shelter or in a hotel so they can get away from the person that is trafficking them. But 
it's also the emotional piece that they're going to have to be unwinding for quite some time. So we really are touching the surface of that when we see them, but they need a lot more uh, long-term care. So I wish I could speak more on how we help, but we are barely scratching the surface, I think, when it comes to human trafficking. Do you mean barely scratching the surface because of how much there is and that, you know, it's just yes. harder to find? Because I've, I've heard yeah. the statistics that a lot of people are very fearful that people are like taking people out of state to like traffic. But so much of it is just it's just happening here. Like they're still mm -hmm. living in their own homes and or they're living with their boyfriends and or they think their boyfriend is it, they think it's their boyfriend, but they have no idea. It's actually their pimp. Um yeah. That we we yeah. have this idea of what trafficking is, but it, it might be very different in reality. Right, right. And I think we're still trying to get to get that unraveled a little. I, I mean, even just a few years ago, I was thinking sex trafficking doesn't really happen in Boise. <laughs> and then, you know, I go to a, a training and I realize, oh, nope, it's happening under our noses. We just have to help people who are being trafficked understand that they are. Otherwise, you know, they just come in and say it's a sexual assault. And until we can really talk with them with counseling and with case management, you know, we may not realize that they're being trafficked until a couple of visits in. And then we're like, then we have our aha moment. Like, oh gosh, this wasn't just a, a sexual assault. This was, this was a trafficking incident. Um, how many of those um, traffic victims are women? Ooh, you know, I don't have that statistic off the top of my head, but I mean, we're seeing teens and, and adults, but I couldn't tell you how many are women. The majority are, but I couldn't tell you. I don't know. I'm just wondering if the dynamic, because we're talking about abuse and mm -hmm. trafficking is abuse. And I'm wondering, is this a similar, um, is this a similar situation where, men are asserting the same kind of abuse and they're just turning into this sexual power. Um, okay. Yeah. That I, I don't know. It's, I think the question of, again, now comes to me, why the hell would someone traffic another person? You know, like mm -hmm. instead of always the question, how do we help traffickers? Why would someone right. be so evil to do that to another mm -hmm. person? And is that a question, you know, that, why, I guess, why is, why are we creating this? You know, what, what is our society doing? Because again, it's just a band-aid to help a trafficked person if we keep on creating traffickers. Yeah, no, it's true. The one stat that, um, and I don't have like a number, but we are finding that the majority of people that are being human trafficked, who are trafficked, have some type of, you know, disability, emotional, mental, physical a lot of it is emotional or developmental where they want to be loved and they feel like, you know, this person is saying all the right things. And then it turns out to be a trafficking situation, but that's just our experience. I don't know if that's the national average. I don't know uh, all what that means, but that's it really does make me really, that's, yeah, that's it's really, I mean, just, I mean, I can't even imagine the unwinding of that, of, not only realizing mm -hmm. what's happening, but also like everything that you wanted, you know, what it was really about, but. Right. Um, Paige, what can the community do to help your organization? When you're, oh, gosh, yeah. when, 
when you're looking for help or support, what form does that support? Would you choose that it takes? I love that question because I, it can take many different forms. I, when I first started in 2015, I started out at Faces. I was a volunteer. I just wanted to give of my time. That's all I had to give. And so I gave one day a week. I love it when people want to come and volunteer. And there are a ton of volunteer opportunities at Faces. You can volunteer inside our building, helping clients. If you, if that's outside of your comfort zone, we need people to organize. Uh, we have a Hope's Closet where we have our clients come in and shop. Well, I say shop, it's all free, but they can come in and pick clothes and shoes and makeup. And we need people to organize that. But we also need, you know, uh, drives. It's going to be wintertime soon. So we need a clothing drive and coat drives and things like that. So it's not, the answer isn't always write me a check. It's definitely, we would, we can use some of your time. However, you know, if you have the financial means, I always tell people every dollar counts, whether it's, you know, the $5 so that we can fill our closet with some toiletries for our clients or, you know, you want to provide a couple nights in a hotel for them to have a safe night's sleep or, you know, things like that. It can be a monetary donation as well. But there's a lot of things that we can do to get you involved if you want to help FACES. And you can go to our website. When you go to facesofhopevictimcenter.org, you click on Get Involved, and there's a volunteer app right there or a volunteer button. Click on that, and we can give you volunteer opportunities. So... When you're saying the drives, I mean, I'm assuming kind of like the Ronald McDonald house, you, you need to keep a lot in supply. Do you have a list of things that you are in need of that people could just, you know, or an Amazon wish list or, you know, yeah. when they're going through, I don't know if, do you like everything to be new or can it be used sometimes? That's a really good question because we used to do where we would just say, donate whatever you have. But we had some really amazing experiences with many victims of domestic violence where they would say, I've never had something with a tag still on it that was brand new. I've had to shop at Savers, you know, or Deseret Industries. And so we decided, as much as we love everybody's donation, to give somebody something brand new that has a tag that was meant just for them was very heartwarming. So everything has to be new. Everything has to have a tag, but we're really good at clearance shopping around here. And so, you know, we'll take anything, but we, a lot of us at Faces love to donate to the closet because we've gotten really good at shopping. <laughs> I, I absolutely love that. And I love the idea that it should be new because isn't mm -hmm. that so much of what you want to offer these people oh. is like a new, fresh mm -hmm. start and like a fresh yeah. pair of underwear and bra. Like, it, like things like that. So I know there's a lot of people who listen here who shop because we all do. If, if it's something that we just started doing and we're like, you know what? Every month I'm just going to buy something they need and I'm just going to like deliver it. That's something very doable. Um, what are the kind of things that people could just start adding to their, their list to make sure yeah. that you guys are always able to give what is most needed. So you can go to our Amazon wish list um, and you can access that on our website as well. But we always are looking for underwear, under well, panties and bras. We're always looking for stretchy pants. After 
after you've been sexually assaulted, if you come to FACES for a forensic exam, a lot of times they're going to take away your clothes because law enforcement will need it for the DNA. And so the forensic examiner will take a lot of times, a lot of times they'll take your clothes. And so they get to come into Hope's closet and they just want like yoga pants or pajama pants, something comfortable because they're going to want to lay around and just be in bed for a little bit. So we love all sizes. I think right now we've been really low on smalls and mediums, but we take everything because abuse happens in all shapes and sizes. So we would take anything, you know, I'll tell you a really impactful story that just touched me so much, but we had a woman who came to faces. She was a victim of abuse. She'd been living with her abuser for over 10 years. And uh, we asked her if she wanted to go shopping in Hope's closet. And she kept saying, I don't need to take anything away from anyone, but if it is possible. The only thing that I really could use is a package of underwear. And she kind of rolled down her pants to show us. And she said, I don't even know why I actually wear underwear anymore because I haven't been allowed to shop for my own underwear in over seven years. And it's hanging by a thread. And you know how our underwear gets when it's like really old and there's just strings and elastics and we need to throw them away. That's all she had left of her underwear. And so when we took her to Hope's closet and we gave her a package of, you know, I think it was Hanes underwear, all she wanted to do, she opened the package and she wanted to smell what new underwear would smell like, which I know might sound kind of strange. It had all of us in tears. She wouldn't take anything else that day. She didn't want to take from anyone. But about two weeks later, I saw this woman for the first time and she actually went to Hope's closet. She got a whole new outfit from head to toe. She actually walked like she was on the catwalk. She felt so beautiful and so just, you know, she just felt like she was worthy of something grand. So that was my favorite story because Hope's closet truly gave her this aha moment that she was deserving of so much. That's beautiful and so infuriating. I want to cry. I hope <laughs> I, I hope I hope there is not a single woman who ever thinks it's okay mm-hmm. to be in that state. Like I'm just gonna say right now as a woman, if you're listening, that's not okay. Like we cannot that's not okay to be treated that way. Like mm-hmm. you deserve more than that. I don't know, like I have not been in that situation like that. That's not okay. Like you, no one should make you feel like you mm-hmm. are worthless. Um, that person does not love you. That's not real love. And yeah. sorry, that just, that breaks my heart so much. But going back to, sorry, like, I just don't want this to happen to my community. It's just, it's, it's, right. it's heartbreaking. But I love the idea. I, I honestly, I'm so sick to my stomach right now thinking we need to, we need to get yoga pants for women because their clothes are taken away because a man did that. But that is the situation that we're at. So um, I think that our community could definitely rally and make that happen. But also, hey, men, if you do that, you're not a good person. Just so you know, you're not a good person if you do that to a woman. And if this needs to be the voice that tells you 
you are not a good person if you do that to a woman. And it needs to stop. Paige, remind us, uh, where are your locations? If people are looking for help or people are looking to volunteer, you guys have multiple locations across the valley, correct? Well, we have only been located in our building that's on 6th and Myrtle in Boise, but we are so close to opening up our new location in West Data. That one is going to be on Eagle Road. It's 1850 South Eagle Road, so it's just right off the freeway. Nice. And we're going to be opening doors really soon. We found that over half of our clients come from West Data. And so it was important for us to bring we're not bringing our entire uh, center because in our Boise center, we have law enforcement and medical professionals and, you know, other partners in the building in Meridian, we are bringing the faces of hope foundation. So that would include our legal support, crisis counseling, case managers, we're taking care of basic needs. And then if you need support from our other partners, we'll make sure that we, we get you there. To the Boise location, That's but so we amazing. are so excited. So stay tuned. I'm yeah. so excited that you're going to be here and bittersweet. Wish you didn't have to be. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I know. I'd love to be out of a job, but yeah. you know, our, our board president right now, her name, it's Carolyn Holly. You probably recognize mm -hmm. that name. She was a neighbor on KTVB. She always talks about how we'd love to be out of a job. We'd love that this place wouldn't have to exist, but the fact that we care for one another and that um, you know, Boise, Meridian, CUNA, we're, we're surrounded by amazing people. Our community is wonderful. And so the fact that we have people that support organizations like Faces, I'm just humbled and grateful every day that we have such great support. I am. I, I, it's, it's so wonderful. And that's why we wanted you to come on our podcast. If someone needs you, they need you mm -hmm. fast. How do they find you? So you can go to our website and that's facesofhopevictimcenter.org or um, you can call us um, and we just got a brand new number. And so that number is 208-986-4357 and that spells help. 208-986-HELP. Okay. And we'll put yep. that in our show notes as well. And so if someone's, you know, even if, even if you're not ready to leave, Maybe put that number under um, in your phone. Put it as the Boise bubble if you need to. Put it in there so that when you're, you are ready, you can go there fast and you can get help. Yep. I love that. Yeah. Paige, thank you so much. We're, we're just deeply appreciative of your group and every volunteer and full-time person that you have uh, working there and all that you do for these people throughout the community. And just uh, we support you and... Um, whatever we can do to help and push this effort, we are here for that. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. We're grateful to bring awareness. So thank you so much. Thanks for listening. This is the Boise Bubble Podcast. Please subscribe to our podcast and leave a five-star review. Follow us on Instagram at the Boise Bubble. And for more information about our community, follow at Hello Meridian. See you next time. Thanks so much to our sponsors for supporting Local Dialogue. We encourage you to check them out online. Jesse Taff of Waypoint Real Estate Group is at www.waypointidaho.com. 
Bryce Gonser of Fulcrum Home Loans is at www.fulcrumhomeloans.com. And Dr. Dustin Portella of Treasure Valley Dermatology can be found at www.dermatologyboise.com and on Instagram at drdustinportella.